This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Listeners, welcome to Murky Waters, a podcast created to communicate the extraordinary life of sharks by the experts who study them. If this is your first time tuning into Murky Waters, a very warm and hearty welcome. I'm Michael Heltzinger, your host for the next half an hour. On today's episode, we'll be talking about technology and how technology can help humans and sharks to more peacefully coexist together. Sharks inhabit coastal areas and beaches people visit. Although encounters are rare, they are inevitable, and so managing human-shark interactions is a key social and environmental challenge. A challenge that marine ecologist Kai Adams has dedicated himself to. Kai has designed an airship, a blimp-mounted camera system, to provide continuous monitoring of his local beach to warn beach users when sharks and other hazards are in the area. Kai is a surfer, a professional lifeguard, and a talented scientist who's about to finish his PhD at the University of Wollongong. And I'm excited to share his invention and much more with you all today. G'day Kai, welcome to the show. Hey Black, how's it going? Could you please introduce yourself to all the listeners and tell us what you're currently studying at the University of Wollongong? So my name's Kai Adams, I'm a PhD student and I study the reproduction and conservation of coastal sharks and rays. You were shared by the I Effing Love Science page for one of your studies. The study was about sharks and rays aborting their young. Could you tell us a bit about the study and what you found? Uh, yeah, so that's something I've been looking into for the last three years I've been doing my PhD. Unfortunately, it's a pretty common response of sharks and rays to being stressed. If they're stressed by being caught when they're pregnant, they'll often start giving birth. That can be at any stage of their pregnancy. So if it happens when their pups aren't quite well-formed enough, the pups will obviously not survive. So I'm looking into whether that mortality of those pups dying is having population-level impacts. To do that, it's been quite difficult because obviously if you're going to catch these animals, you're going to stress them out. So we've had to come up with ways so that we don't stress them. To do that, we actually free dive down and we'll grab a little coastal shark species we have over here. We'll grab it by the tail and free dive it to the surface. So we'll get it into tonic immobility so that it's not stressed out and do ultrasounds on it. Tonic immobility for people that don't know what that is. Can you just explain how you do that? It's a pretty weird response, actually, <laughs> that they have to overstimulation of their electrical senses. Yep. Sharks will have that extra sense where they can sense electrical impulses, usually from their prey. So when the fish's muscles are moving, it'll release little electrical signals, and the sharks will be able to pick up on that. 
Yep. But if you put your hand under its nose, it'll freak out the electrical impulses and they'll just get overstimulated and just go limp and they won't process any stimuli after that. So it's almost like they're under anesthetic. So you can do your procedures to them without causing them too much stress. We use that so that we're not stressing them out and we're not causing abortions when we're doing our procedures. Obviously, we don't want to go around catching a bunch of pregnant sharks and causing them to abort. Yeah. So we have to carefully select our methods so yeah. that we're doing it in an ethical way. Exactly, and it's a good excuse to go freediving and to catch some sharks, send them to the surface. Yeah, been interesting. So yeah, I'm currently at the moment writing up all that data. Yep. I'm in the final stages of writing that up, so I'm hoping to share that with everyone soon. Awesome. Um, and we found some really interesting results, which excited to hopefully get out there soon. Oh, I can't wait to see them, Kai. That's so exciting. I guess your study is another indirect effect for fisheries. Is it something that people don't really consider when you're fishing? You know that sharks and rays could be aborting young. Yeah, so currently it's not something we consider when we're trying to manage shark and ray populations. When we know that a shark is caught and killed, we can count that individual and model that impact on the shark and ray population. But this weird intergenerational effect that we're seeing where the mother might survive even if you let her go, but the pups are being lost. She doesn't get a chance to give birth that year and contribute to a healthy shark population. So it's quite complicated to account for that when you're trying to conserve or manage shark and ray populations. That's what I'm aiming to do is have a first crack at seeing what effects that loss of pups might be having. So they're obviously quite stressed out when they're fished. This ability for sharks and rays to abort, is this a survival thing? What do you think is the reason of them to abort their pups? There hasn't been enough research to know conclusively why they do it. From other studies into stress hormones in other species, including humans, we know that when you're stressed out, especially when it's a life and death situation, you have that fight or flight response which releases a lot of hormones, and some of those hormones are known to potentially induce birth. Yep. We understand that if you get those hormones to a certain level, you could cause an abortion in a bunch of species, which is happening for these sharks and rays. In terrestrial systems with kangaroos and wallabies, if they're chased by a predator, like a dingo or even a human who's trying to catch them for research, they have a habit of throwing their joeys out of their pouch. And this is thought to be to distract the predator so that the mother can escape. Sounds a little bit harsh. <laughs> but in the animal world, anyone who's watched any David Attenborough knows nature can be brutal. Absolutely. It's survival of the fittest. Yeah. One reason they might do it is for their own survival. Yep. Um, but they also might be doing it in a selfless way so their offspring could survive. One example of a situation where that might happen would be if the shark or the ray is stranded on a beach, which happens quite frequently. There's actually footage around on YouTube mm -hmm. of a lot of sharks being stranded, usually by waves. So they'll be in the near-shore environment trying to catch fish in the shallows and then they'll get hit by a wave and washed up on the beach. And you can imagine if they were pregnant, if they gave birth while they were still in the shallows, the pups might be able to survive whereas the mum's too big and heavy to get off the beach. That's one other reason they might do it. 
we still don't know whether it's either of those reasons or both. Mm -hmm. What type of species were you looking at and the stuff that you're finding? Is it just in New South Wales near Wollongong? Yeah, so most of my work is in a marine park over here, about three hours south of Sydney called Jervis Bay. It's a lovely place in the world if any of your listeners want to check it out. It's got great diving and it's even got world-class waves just around the corner. So Aussie Pipe is just around the corner from that site. But yeah, the study species I work on is called Banjo Shark, also known as the Fiddler Ray. Technically, it's a ray species. It's kind of half shark, half ray. It has a, a shark's tail and a ray's head. It looks like a banjo. They have this beautiful patination on them. It looks a bit like ripples helps them blend in it so they can escape predators which is funny when we go to catch them because they think they're invisible they'll just sit there watching you swim up to them and they won't move until you go to grab them and then they realize that you've seen them and they try and escape Uh, so you've got to be quite quick (laughs) what an ideal species to study Yeah, yeah they're pretty cool they're good to work with they have crushing plates, not teeth. Mm-hmm. Even if they do bite you, it just doesn't break the skin, which is good. Uh, yeah. means that me and my volunteers don't get nibbled. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you'd be running around volunteers. Yeah, yeah, we'd go through a few. Kai, you're also a lifeguard surfer, diver, so you're quite connected to the ocean. What got you into studying sharks? Yeah, that's why I chose to do a PhD in marine biology. It guarantees that. I'll always have connection with the coast. I can't leave the coast without feeling like something's a bit missing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always in the water, grown up around the ocean and want to do my part to make sure we protect what we have in whatever small way I can. So sharks are just one component of the marine environment and as predators, they're quite important. Yep. And for my PhD, they've been really interesting to study and they do require a lot of work. They're one of the species groups that's quite in trouble at the moment. Without those predators in the ocean, then we'll have that lack of top-down control of other species. Effectively, one study I've seen suggests that if we lose all the predators in the ocean, we're basically just left with a jellyfish soup, which isn't ideal. Not at all. What's that trouble from? It's a whole range of impacts, really. Death by a thousand cuts. There's fishing impacts, climate change, coastal development. So it's hard to manage all those things. To manage them, we have to understand them. So that's our role as scientists is to collect data, understand what's happening and put forward solutions to prevent or mitigate species losses. Also maintain sustainable fish populations because so many people do rely on fish for sustenance and fisheries are important as fisheries scientists it's important that we fish species sustainably including some sharks and rays are subject to targeted fishing it's important that we develop strategies to do that sustainably good man and i've already introduced your shark limb can you tell us what inspired it i know you're a lifeguard and I was wondering if it was a worry about the risk of having a human and shark interaction when you're working. Yes, it does come a lot from lifeguarding. I've lifeguarded for seven or eight years professionally now. It gives me a lot of time on the beach itself. If it's quiet, 
you have a lot of time to stare out at the ocean because you can't be on your phone, you can't be distracted. As a surfer, we're all exposed to what can happen with shark-human interactions. Mm-hmm. So it is something that got me thinking, what's the best way that we can try and manage this thing without having to use traditional measures, which are shark nets and drum lines, which most of the time involve catching and killing sharks. Given the declines that we've seen of shark populations, get rid of sharks when they're already depleted isn't the best management strategy. I wanted to come up with something that was zero mortality required from both sharks and zero mortality of humans. Tell us about your shark blimp. So what is the blimp? Where is it? How does it work? So the blimp is a surveillance method to watch the ocean for the presence of sharks. Basically, it hovers over the beach with a camera attached and live streams that footage down to a monitoring station, which is located in the surf club. And it's an area-based approach. So it's basically an extension of the flagged area. So if you swim at the beach in Australia, you have to swim between the red and yellow flags. The blimp hovers above those flags or potentially over the surfing area if it's a surfing-oriented beach. Someone's job is to watch for sharks from that aerial platform. The higher you are, the better you can see through that water. If you're at sea level, you can't really see that well. If you have an elevated platform, you can see right down to 5 to 10 metres deep into the water column. The blimp is a way to do that for a full eight hours. Unlike drones with the 20 to 30-minute battery life, the blimp is up there all day, doesn't need any recharging. There's an eye in the sky for the lifeguards. I can't believe that. Eight hours continuous monitoring. It did require a bit of prototyping and a bit of MacGyvering, but we got (laughs) it. The first prototype, we just literally strapped a drone to a blimp. It was that simple. Like took the propellers off the drone and strapped it on. I think I saw a photo of that because it just looked like a drone and then just a big balloon, basically like an airship, right? Yeah. The only real difference between it is the blimp is using helium to lift rather than spinning motors, which is why it can last so long. Drones are currently being used by the government to watch for sharks, but their main disadvantage is that short battery life. We see it as a complementary strategy. You can have a blimp above the beach that's doing the continuous all-day monitoring that you don't have to think about. You just know the blimp's up there watching for you. If you see something sus, you can fly a drone out and get a closer look. They're not mutually exclusive. You don't have drones or blimps. You can have both. Then potentially they can be flown by the same operator. Oh, man, this is so cool, just with where technology would take us. It's really good for shark monitoring, but also for beach safety because I'm sure drones could fly out rescue tubes to rescue people. But not only providing safety from interactions with sharks, they could also provide safety for identifying rips and providing safety equipment out the back. Yeah. Um, yeah it's crazy it's just, how quickly technology has been developing in this space. Absolutely. So you have one airship operational at the moment? There's two blimps, only one at a time, because there's only one of me. It's still a bit technical to operate them. Give us two cars. Yeah. 
the technology's not quite there to roll out to everyone. That's what I'm hoping to showcase it as an idea and hopefully governments and just the general public can get behind it and demand a blimp at their beach. And then we can get it to a production level of technology rather than the prototype stage. In terms of cost, like how does it compare to say like helicopters and drones? Because in Western Australia, when we lifeguard, we're using drones up on some of the main beaches and then down south and in Perth in the metropolitan, we have helicopters hovering up and down looking for sharks. Yeah, so it's comparable to drones in yeah. terms of cost. So the yep. technology itself is basically the same as a drone in terms of camera requirements and all that. The camera is the same cost of a drone and then the blimp on top of that is what you pay for. It smashes the cost of helicopters. They obviously have to pay a pilot and an observer and pay for fuel, which yep. is really expensive, whereas the blimp is one observer and we are working on ways, and there's other people working in that space as well, to automate the detection. Oh, wow. So someone wouldn't have to be watching footage all day. It would be automated. So we actually have an algorithm that can spot sharks, and we're trying to develop that further so that it can be fully functional at the beach and detect sharks and swimmers in distress and rips and just anything that can improve beach safety, especially given that, Sharks are so rare at the beach, better that we can keep an eye on the swimmers. Drowning is probably the biggest risk when you go to the beach. It's, yes. it's not actually sharks. So if we can have that automated detection of beach hazards, mm -hmm. which is great because it works from any aerial platform, so that same software can work with drones and blimps and potentially even cameras on helicopters if the government still wants to fund helicopters. You can reduce human error so someone doesn't have to sit there and get fatigued all day watching the stuff going on. It can just be done automatically. Are there any limitations with the airship? I think the main limitation at the moment is probably the technology integration isn't quite there yet. So yep. rotary drones have those big drone companies that have been pouring millions into research and development. Off the shelf, you can buy one and fly it with minimal training, whereas the blimp isn't quite there yet in terms of production. Our budget's been pretty limited. It's just mm -hmm. been a passion project. It's not going to compete with those drone companies at this stage, but if we can show how good an idea it is, which I feel that we have, and people get behind it, then we can quickly catch up to that drone technology especially if one of those drone companies came on board and helped out. Have you seen any really cool encounters on the air blimp yet? Last season, we caught a couple of grey nurse on camera. Every summer, they come in feeding on the bait balls of Australian salmon that we get. If you see a bait ball, we know that we're going to get predators. So we'll see things like grey nurse, which are obviously not dangerous to humans, but are still real cool to see. Saw a big fur seal chasing fish as well. Because we are monitoring for a full day for six weeks at a time, you get some pretty cool, interesting footage. Yeah, I bet it's all out there. So my last question is, if you could get one message across to everyone listening about sharks and just about the ocean in general, what would that be? Everyone get behind protecting the ocean, supporting things like marine parks, because the ocean's 
the first casualty of climate change with the increasing water temperatures. Everything's accentuated in that environment. The ocean's facing a lot of threats from humans and people need to be conscious and make conscious decisions about how they're impacting and how their choices impact the ocean. Something as small as if you're going to eat fish, make sure you know where it comes from and that it's sourced sustainably. Avoid giving money to anything that's not sustainable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Kai. So that's all we have time for today. Man, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show as our guest. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and that cool-ass invention with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. My fellow listeners, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this Murky Waters episode and Kai's cool-ass invention. I personally can't wait to see the airship take off. This podcast is created by Michael Elsinger. But it wouldn't happen without your support. So... Thank you for listening today. You can find the podcast on Facebook and Instagram where I'll be sharing some fantastic content. Simply search for Murky Waters Podcast and please leave something behind. A like, a follow, share or a review. And you're always welcome to get in touch with any questions, feedback or if you just want a yarn. Thank you to ORFM for everything. You guys are legends and everyone else who has helped out so far. Nick White and Claire Concannon for the advice and insider tips, DJ KO for the introduction music, Chris Nodding for the logo, Kurt and Paramount Importance for the inspo, Alana for the video, and the talented Molly Devine for the preface music. And how good was our guest today? Big thanks in order for Kai, who's a busy man finishing his PhD, but still had time to talk to us today. I'll be sharing his invention and work online at Murky Waters, so make sure you keep an eye out on this space. Take care, people, of both yourselves and the planet, and I'll see you next episode. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.